Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you. Uh, my privilege to be able to share with you this morning, and uh, I'm excited to be able to do that. You know, um, a bunch of years ago, uh, my wife and I were getting ready to go out to dinner with someone, and I got a uh, an alert on this little communication device that I had because I was serving as a chaplain for the fire department and police department in the town that we lived in. So um, anyway, I heard that there was a crisis going on over at the senior care center. So I just bolted, you know, got in the car and bolted over there. And by the time I got there, it was it was concerning and, and sad, and it, it looked horrible. There were fire engines everywhere and rescue people and uh, paramedics, and, and they were bringing people out, the old people out, and it was, it was they had injuries, and there was blood, and, and it was just like, this is awful. This is, just, you know, my, my heart's just sick. I wonder what happened. Is someone going to explosion or, or what? And uh, right away, the fire chief barks at me get over there and and minister to those people you know they're in the ambulance over there and they need some comfort and so I'm going in there and doing that and I'm looking at their injuries and suddenly something didn't look quite right about the injuries and then I realized after a little bit of time that this was a drill (laughs) I didn't have any advance notice of it it was just practice for this big old thing. I, I was going through all this prayer. Oh, God, come down and do a miracle here. Uh, but everything was just fine. <laughs> but uh, we do drills like that to rehearse for the big things. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about training today, how important that is for us spiritually, because we need to have some preparation. We need to have training in our own lives. And it's, it's very, very important that people are trained. Medical personnel have to be trained a lot. We saw this past week how important that was. If you were uh, watching football last Monday night, you, you saw this injury to DeMar Hamlin, and, and he has cardiac arrest. He's out there on, on the field, and they stop the game, and, and uh, they work on him for minutes and minutes and minutes and then take them away and it just you know it uh, they never even finished the game and it's just like very very concerning and the the players all get on the field and and they're praying together down there and uh, and then in the studio they're praying in the studio that was just amazing somebody said i, w- I want to pray and so they said do it so he leads a prayer and so all of this and God really intervened and did a miraculous thing and and DeMar is recovering he's still in critical condition but he's he's recovering I was watching a game yesterday if you watched football yesterday you may have seen this scene this was uh this was last night's game and here all the players decided to pray out on the field to thank God for the miracle that had already taken place with Damar and to continue to ask God's healing touch upon his life. Man, that's like, that's revival. <laughs> that, that's really something. So uh, that was pretty amazing. So I want you to see that. You know, someone observed in it uh, that was probably the lowest paid people on the field that did the most important work last Monday night, saving a life. And uh, it was sure good to, to see the prayer, people calling out to God. Well, as I was saying, medical personnel go through lots of training. Dental 
workers. They go through lots of training. Law enforcement people go through lots of training. Pilots go through lots of training. Pastors go through lots of training. Uh, lawyers go through lots of training. Mechanics go through lots of training. Electricians go through lots of training. Even Starbucks baristas go through training. <laughs> okay, It's important so we can get things done right. And here's what I want to share with you today. You and I have this incredible opportunity. And more than just an opportunity, it's an extreme honor that we have. An opportunity and an honor to do significant things for God. Okay? That's pretty cool that God would invite us into what he's doing and say, you have the chance to make an impact and to help bring the kingdom into people's lives. That's pretty cool. So this is going to affect their eternity and help spread the fame of our Lord Jesus. That's the opportunity, that's the honor that we have. But here's something very important. God trains us for the opportunities that he gives us. And it's, uh, it's important for us to say, Lord, I, I surrender to your process of training in my life so that you can use me in the ways that you want me and prepare me. And so as you look through the Bible, you can see David... The, the greatest king of Israel. He went through years of training and preparation that God was doing in him before he ever became king. You see Moses, he went through a lot of training and preparation before he became the leader uh, in his role. And Elijah, who was perhaps the, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, goes through a time of training before God gives him the opportunity to make a huge impact on the nation of Israel. Now, I want to focus a little bit today on Elijah's training and how that might be a template for what God wants to do in your life and in my life. So let's set the scene historically here for what we're going to look at in Elijah's life. The nation of Israel, it's a time where they're backslidden. Uh, There's a very wicked queen and a spineless king that are reigning together. Uh, he gives in to whatever the queen wants to do. That's, I'm talking about Ahab and Jezebel. Here's what the Bible says about Ahab. How would you like this to be said about you? He was the most wicked king that had ever been. No, nobody had been more wicked before him than him. Okay, that's his biography. So they're bad news. And even though Jezebel's the one that kind of stirs the pot on this whole thing, he's just as guilty because he goes along with it all. And together, they have actually led God's people away from God and into idol worship. They've embraced the same idol worship that the heathen nations around them are doing. Now, one of the things that God had communicated to his people as he put them together uh, and established them as his people and a nation was that if they would be true to him, he would provide for them. But if they were unfaithful and started embracing the values and the idols of the nations around them, then he was going to withhold his blessing from them and their country and their land, which included sending rain uh, upon their crops. Very important. So because of the spiritual rebellion that Israel is in at this time, God has Elijah show up at the palace and give a message to 
King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And here's his message. We're in 1 Kings 17, verse 1 this morning. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tibi in Gilead. That's a mouthful in the beginning right there. It's like saying Spud, the Utah from Utah in the western U.S., <laughs> Okay, this is like that. So he's, he's a Tishbite, he's from Tishbe. But here's the point of everything. As the Lord, here's what he says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now that's quite a proclamation. No rain, no dew. It's gonna be dry for the next few years. Okay, except when I say it'll be different. And I, I imagine the reception to that wasn't too positive. Like, who is this little pipsqueak coming in here to the palace and talking to the king and the queen like that? Now, I want to learn some things I, together about Elijah's training that is going to apply to us, particularly as we're launching into 2023. And uh, I just think it's appropriate that we would pay attention to what God may be wanting to do in our life to prepare us for the year ahead, for how he wants to use us. We're his people. He has a plan for us. He has a mission for us. So he's going to be preparing us and training us for the things that he wants to do. So here's some things that we can learn from Elijah's life that I think will help us. Here's the first one. We must be willing to be hidden, willing to be hidden. In the second verse, the third verse of 1 Kings 17, we read this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, that's at the palace, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. So God says, go hide, hide. And I think Elijah might have been like, what do you mean hide? I just got here. <laughs> I mean, I am ready for action. I'm at the palace. I just talked to the king. I'm in the limelight now. People are going to pay attention to me. And God says, no, I want you to make yourself scarce. I want you to get away from here, away from the crowds, and uh, just go into obscurity. And that's what God had for him. That's hard, by the way, for an upfront person. If you're a doer kind of a person, it's like, hey, man, where's the action? I want to get right in it and go for it. I want to make an impact. Well, before we can make an impact, we need to, to pay attention to those moments when God says, I want you to just make yourself scarce here for a little bit and get with me. Hide yourself. So God will put us in the middle of the action at the right time. But now he's got some preparation work that he wants to do in our life. So God is saying, make yourself scarce, and during this time, let's just spend time together. Get to know me. Spend time with me. Grow in me. This Kareth Ravine that he goes to, the actual meaning of that word Kareth is cut off. So it's kind of, the, it's kind of cool because it 
it really speaks of what's happening. It's like, I'm getting away. I'm, I'm turning off everything else. I'm, I'm cutting off all the other interactions. I'm just going to spend some time with God. And it's just going to be that development that he's doing in my life. That's the kind of thing that we have to find time to do every day of our life, to get with God. It's important. It's, it's so critical for us so that we can grow in him so that we're ready for his opportunity in our life to, to make yourself scarce, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with him. I'm going to get in his word. I want to listen to the things that he would speak to me. I want to grow in him. So we want to be doing that. Now, when we first meet Elijah at the beginning of the chapter, his name is Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. When you get to He's called a man of God. What happened in between? The preparation, the training that's so important. That's how we're shaped into what God wants to do inside of us. The prep time is vital so that we're ready for God's opportunity in our life. Here's the second thing we can learn. God's direction includes God's provision. Or like... uh, Chuck Smith would always say, where God guides, God provides. He always does that. And you see this in here. Uh, Verse 4, you will drink from the brook, God says, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. That's not the football team, the ravens. These are actual ravens, (laughs) okay? And so he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. God has told him to go there, but when God directs us somewhere, he provides for us in that place. It's important for us to remember because we're like, Well, I can't follow God because then I won't have anything to eat or drink. No, if God guides you, God will provide for you. So he does this, and God sends the water. Uh, He has the water in the brook there. He sends the ravens for spiritual nourishment. Pretty incredible story, supernatural thing. But as he obeys the Lord and as he lives there, he's not just putting himself there for a weekend camping trip, he actually says, okay, I'm going to settle down right here. And as a result, God takes care of him. The thing is that God gives us whatever we need to fulfill what he's called us to do. Think about that. He'll give you whatever you need to fulfill what he's called you to do. Here's the third thing we learn. We must learn to trust one day at a time. Trust one day at a time. I don't know about you, but I would strongly prefer in my life to have the whole plan in front of me at once. Wouldn't you? I remember we were planning a California coast drive. We were living in San Diego, pastoring down there at at the time. And so I I just planned out this trip. I mean, here's how it's going to go. We're going to leave from San Diego at such and such a time. We're going to have lunch over here at such and such a time. We'll arrive our destination for the evening in Pismo Beach about this time. And uh, then we're going to have breakfast with friends that live in Pismo the next morning. And then we're going to drive to Hearst Castle. 
And after we see that, then we're going to go up to uh, the Monterey area. We're going to do that 17-mile drive, Pebble Beach, incredible, okay? We're going to do that before sunset, and just it'll just be perfect how everything works out. And then we're going to spend some, the next day we'll spend some time in San Francisco, and how much time we're going to spend at Fisherman's Wharf and all that kind of stuff. And, and then we're going to go over to Napa Valley, and then we're going to be there this long, and, and then back over to the coast to see the giant redwoods, and, and uh, then we'll go up to Crescent City. I knew how many miles that we would drive every single day. I knew where we would stay every single day, all laid out. And I, I, I enjoy kind of doing that. Now, one of the very challenging facts for us is that God doesn't reveal all of his plans for us at once. Do you hate that as much as I do? <laughs> it's disturbing. We prefer this is what's going to happen, and then this is what will happen after that, and then after that, then that's going to take place. And that's rarely how God does things. Here's how he works. A day at a time. A step at a time. It's an unfolding revelation in your life. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. We want to pray, give us my bread for the whole rest of my life, please. And he, but he teaches us to pray for today's needs. That's how he works in our life. And so we have to keep going to him. His insight and his manifestation in our life. So, so that's just an important truth for us. Watch how this works for Elijah. God has him go to the palace to speak to Ahab and Jezebel. He doesn't know what's going to happen after that. He just takes that step. Then uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. This is after he speaks to Ahab. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and tells him to go to the brook. After Elijah obeys and goes, then the ravens come and bring him food. And then we get down to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came and gave him his next assignment. And uh, later on in the next chapter, after a long time, the word came. Do you see what's going on here? It's you do this, you take that step, you'll get marching orders for the next thing soon. And we aren't comfortable with that. We want the whole plan. And God just doesn't work that way. So often he's not going to tell you step two until you do step one. He's not going to tell you the next thing until you obey what he's already told you to do right now. So we do step one, we move into that, and then he shows us what's next in our life. Okay? Very important things. And here's the fourth deal. Sometimes God calls us to sit by not just brooks, but drying brooks, because that's what's going on here. Elijah lives by this brook, but the brook is drying up. First Kings 17, 7 says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. So it was like less and less water and then no water. Has that happened to you? I mean, in a figurative sense, has your brook ever dried up? Your bank account, your booming business, your 
rising career, your influential music ministry, your pastoral ministry, your, your teaching ministry, or a leadership ministry, or a relationship of some kind, there's less and less and less and then nothing. Do you find yourself sitting by a dried up brook? And what happens when we find ourselves by a dried up brook? How do we feel when the brook has dried up? Panic? <laughs> Anger? Self-pity? Feeling betrayed? Yes. Abandoned? Yes. Sometimes we feel denial. It's not really drying up. My eyes just aren't as good as they used to be. I'm sure it's all still there. <laughs> Whatever. But a lot of times our tendency is to think in these moments when the brook of our life dries up, why? Why is this happening? Why is God letting this happen to me? How could God forget about me? Sound familiar? Here's something I want you to remember. I, this is from Isaiah 49. It's a great, uh, a great scripture to have just tucked away in, in your memory, in your heart, in your life. It says this, But Zion said, that's God's people, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Same thing that we do individually. Now watch how God responds to his children when they feel like that. He says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Well, you'd think, not very easily, but come to think of it, seems like there has been a few stories of a mother that wasn't really good at that. So he goes on. He says, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. So here's the deal. God never loses track of you. He, he never says, whatever happened to Dana? <laughs> I... He was here a while ago, and uh, I haven't seen him, and I don't know what happened to him. I thought he was here. I set him down somewhere, and I can't remember where I left him. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. No, it says we're engraved. Just look at the palms of your hands right now. God says, you're engraved on the palm of my hands. It's like tattooed. You are tattooed on the palms of his hands. He will never forget you. He never loses track of you. He, he's never trying to figure out what, what's going on with you. You aren't that important to him. So even in the dried brook times of your life, don't think that God's abandoned you. In fact, this is kind of interesting. The dried up brook was actually a direct result of Elijah's prayer. <laughs> James, we're in the New Testament here. James 5.17 tells us, Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't. Didn't rain for three and a half years. So guess what? When there's no rain, what happens? The brooks dry up, right? So this is an answer to his prayer. And sometimes we pray in our life, Lord, I want to pray you. Make me more like you. 
but then we kind of throw in a little caveat, but make it painless, please. <laughs> I don't want to go through any struggle about this whole thing. Don't let it hurt. May I be unselfish, Lord, but without any pain, please. <laughs> May I be patient, Lord, but I don't want any troubles that would help forge that in my life. May I learn to trust you more, Lord, but may it be painless. But here's the answer. There's some ouch sometimes in the working out of what God is doing in us. And we have to just realize God's got a process. The dried up brook in your life and my life is often a sign of God's acceptance of us, not his judgment against us. That's significant because he's at work. It's a sign of his pleasure, not his disappointment. He's at work. All right, let me finish up this morning with the core curriculum of our training time because there's, I believe, at least four things that God is working on to shape us and train us for these opportunities that he has for us. Here they are. Number one is the issue of pride. Pride. This is something huge that God has to deal with in all of our lives to be able to use us. Because if we're in the zone of being impressed with ourselves, then we're giving glory to us and not to him. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from what? Us. It's not from us. It's from God. Treasure is the activity of Christ in my life and through my life. A treasure is valuable. It's cherished. It's the prize. We put treasure in a safety deposit box or a safe or under lock and key somehow, alarmed and monitored and guarded, watched over because it's valuable. It's important to us. What's a jar of clay? Well, it's common. It's an everyday container. It's us. We're clay. But he puts his treasure, his power, his life, his light, his activity in my life and through my life, he puts all of that into a jar of clay. That's us. Why does he do it that way? To show, the scripture says, explains it for us, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. So people go, that's amazing. The activity of God in that person? <laughs> wow. God is great. So that we can't say, look how great I am. All the glory is to him. And he says, I will not share my glory with another. God's very strong about that. So life isn't for me, it's for him. Serving isn't for me, it's for him. Worship isn't for me, it's for him. John the Baptist said it right when he proclaimed, he must increase and I must decrease. Being hidden away out of the limelight helps us 
to deal with the pride issue. So it's part of the core curriculum. Here's the second issue, fear. Now, fear has always been around. In fact, someone observed that in the Bible, there are 365 times where the phrase is written, do not be afraid. That would work out to one day, once for every day of the year, right? Okay, except leap year, and then I don't, you just have to remember what you learned the day before, I guess, on that one. But we're, you know, it's there to remind us do not be afraid. But we're living in a day today that I think fear is increasing more and more. It's epidemic. And fear, here's what it does. It robs us of peace. And we deal with fear all the time. The fear of losing things, losing our position, losing our comfort, losing our prestige, losing our popularity, losing our privilege. And we deal with the fear of uncertainty What's going to happen? What's, what's going on? What's, what's next? What's going to happen to the situation that I'm dealing with in my life? Is everything going to crumble? Is there going to be anything left for me? Fear, fear, fear. The antidote to fear is trusting God. It's not a head in the sand mentality that says, I don't, I'm not going to look. I don't care. I don't, it's not that. It's like, I see what's going on. It's terrifying. But I put my trust and faith in God. So I'm going to focus again and again and again and again on how God has been faithful in my life over and over and over. And tomorrow when the fear comes, tonight when the fear comes in the middle of the night, I'm going to remind myself how God has been faithful and I can trust him. So I do that. I believe that he'll continue to be faithful in my life. He's not going to stop being faithful in my life. I'm engraved on the palm of his hands. He cares about me. So we learn to walk by faith. And faith in God and his plan for my life and trusting in him, even when everything seems confusing, that brings us peace. And it lets him bring out his plan to perfection in my life. Here's the third issue that we have to deal with for our training, the issue of resentment. It's so easy to build up resentment in life. There are things that we believe shouldn't have happened to us. We missed an opportunity. We missed a job. We missed a promotion. We missed a recognition of some kind, a chance at a different life situation or someone betrays us, lies about us, hurts us deeply. Or we look around and we see that everyone else seems to be being blessed, but our life is hard. And all we get is Charlie Brown when he trick-or-treats. I got a rock. <laughs> Feel that way sometimes? And anger and, and hurt damage us so deeply, and we end up developing bitter roots in our life that we have to dig out. It should have been this way in my life. This should have happened, and that shouldn't have. And all that disillusionment becomes a seed that finds fertile ground in our hearts. But that kind of thing will cripple us spiritually and emotionally. This is important stuff. So we have to be very proactive in 
dealing with those things, bringing those feelings to God and saying, I release that, Lord. Heal my heart, God. Okay, I'm bringing this to you, this burden. I'm leaving it at your feet, and I'm going to walk away free of all the weight of that resentment, and we learn forgiveness. By the way, this is a continual process. (laughs) You don't just do that today, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Forgiveness is like ongoing because all that stuff comes back to you, the resentment and everything. It's like, no. I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving. It's like brushing your teeth. You don't just brush your teeth once for life. Because <laughs> there's this ick that gets on you all the time. So you got to brush a lot, okay? That's what we have to do with this resentment issue. Again and again and again, we're going to God and just releasing things and leaving them at his feet. Here's the fourth and final thing. The issue of renewal. It's a recalibration into God's value system. Listen, every day you and I are bombarded with messages that are contrary to the values of God by a system that is hostile to him and in open warfare with him. I mean, we got TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and the music we listen to and the movies that we watch and the news that we read and the TV shows that we engage with and the friends that we interact with and the coworkers that we work with, just bombarding us with that value system. It is intense. They're screaming at us, here's the way that you need to think. Here's the way that you need to feel about life, about the things that are going on, the things that are important to you. Here's the way that you should spend your time. Here's the way you should think about human behavior. It's relentless. It's pounding, pressurizing, influencing, shaping what we think about things, our value judgments, what's important to us. And I believe that it's more intense than it's ever been before because of how interconnected we all are today, and the rampant wickedness that is ever increasing. That's why this scripture that I want to leave you with this morning is so important to us. It's Romans 12, 2. It's critical to spiritual survival that we put this into practice into our life. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You and I have to recalibrate spiritually, not just at the beginning of the new year, not just once a week or once a month, however often you attend church. (laughs) I'm talking about daily recalibration. It's critical maybe multiple times a day, recalibration. Now, how do you do that? Well, you hide yourself, for one thing. Learn to cut off some things. Get into God's Word. If you're not into it, get into it, okay? Because if you are not into it, you can't help not living to the pattern of the world. You've got to be recalibrated and renewed. Put yourself in good fellowship. Be here on Sundays, Get some good teaching in your life. Get into a small group with other believers, even if it's just one-on-one. 
Find somebody that's godly and that you can have conversation with and that'll help influence your life. Encourage each other spiritually to be in an ongoing pattern of transformation by the renewing of your mind. So as we are launching into the new year, my hope and my prayer for you is that you will participate with what God is wanting to do in your life this year. He's got some training that he wants to accomplish in your life and in my life. And it's going to involve the issue of pride, the issue of fear, the issue of resentment, and the issue of renewal, recalibration. As we walk through that training, we can be excited to know that he's at work inside of us. His activity, his treasure is in us, preparing us to shine very brightly in a very dark world for his honor and for his glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you have given us opportunity and an honor to be a part of what you're doing. You're not just sitting up in the heavens just stewing about how the world is falling apart. No, you're, you're at work, and you're changing lives, and you're giving us an opportunity to be involved in the greatest thing happening, your activity and, and your um, power released in changing people and changing their eternity. And Lord, just we are thankful that you would use us, that you would use our church and we can be a part of that, individually and together. So, Lord, as we would just submit ourselves and yield ourselves to the training process that you would do in our life, Lord, we know that these are things that need to be accomplished in us, and we give ourselves to you for all that you want to do in us and through us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.